Writing your oncology case report is a huge undertaking, and it's easy to make silly mistakes that can derail your entire writing process. That's why you need my brand new masterclass, the three-step framework for a finished case report. In this free masterclass, you'll learn three of the biggest mistakes to avoid when writing your case report, the secrets to actually finishing your case report, no matter the patient case you've chosen, and my proven three-step framework for starting and finishing your very own oncology case report. Save your seat today at theoncopt.com slash framework. Again, that's theoncopt.com slash framework. Welcome to the Onco PT Podcast, where you'll learn from oncology experts, practitioners, and patients to help you on your journey to become a confident and competent Onco PT. Here's your host, Elise Decker. Hello, everybody, and welcome to this episode of the Onco PT Podcast. I am so excited to be back. We are officially back here live in the studio, um, which is my office, but I took a little vacation last week. We actually went to go see my in-laws down um, on the coast of our state, which was really nice, um, and just chilled, which was super, super nice. So I say all this because I got my edition of the APTA magazine late. So y'all have probably already seen this at this point, but if you haven't seen it, I was thrilled because they did, so basically their cover story is called How to... How excuse me, help your patients get a good night's sleep. Clearly I need one of those right now. But I had no idea that this was such a problem with patients until probably about two years ago when I was practicing in my clinic. And I say all this because I had pretty much, so I had been practicing for about six months at this point. I had really kind of nailed down my evaluation flow. It's like, okay, when I get a patient, I know what their diagnosis is. This is the treatment they probably had. So I need to screen for this, this, and this impairment. And I screen for fatigue. I really do. But for whatever reason, that wasn't something that I really would ask about. It was more of an assumption like, well, cancer-related fatigue affects approximately 80% of our patients. So our patients are probably going to have it. You know, it's just a given. But I didn't really go any more into that, which is a really problematic stance to take. And so what I wanted to talk about today is what we are likely missing in our evaluations and then ways that we can ensure that we don't miss this anymore. Because it is more than likely that you are going to encounter patients who have sleep difficulties. In the article that they have in the APTA magazine, fantastic stuff in here, including, you know, like how we can actually make this work as part of our practice, differences that we may encounter between sexes and different minorities, specifically within like diversity and equity standpoint, which is really, really fabulous. Because again, I think that's something that I really don't understand fully um, as someone who has been very privileged. And so this really highlights some of the really important parts of it that I'm definitely going to be diving in more with in my patient care. So anyways, fabulous article. I'm not going to read it to you. Um, this is not an ad. I just really thought it was a good article when I was reading it at the breakfast table this morning. But Cancer-related fatigue, we know that this is an issue that affects many of our patients, if not the majority of patients that we encounter in OncoPT. We know that cancer-related fatigue is this overwhelming 
sense of physical, emotional, distressing fatigue that is not made better by rest. And we know that exercise, we know that physical activity are very, very important and effective treatments for cancer-related fatigue. However, we cannot underemphasize, we cannot underscore the importance of adequate sleep in the oncology patient population because we know that these patients do indeed have sleep disturbances. I can, you know, there's multiple treatments, even right off the bat that I know patients report difficulty sleeping on. So for example, I had a patient that I was seeing for, um, I believe he had multiple myeloma and he was on steroids as part of his treatment. And for him, it was wild because he would have these on and off periods when he was actually, you know, taking his steroids as directed, of course, but he would go for days without sleeping. This is not an exaggeration. He would come into the clinic when he was kind of on this on period and would be so wired and simultaneously so exhausted at the same time because he was on this steroid high that his body would get on, but then he would also be so tired, so tired. And, you know, that wasn't even necessarily like purely cancer related fatigue. He was definitely having cancer treatment related fatigue. But we know that treatments can affect patients' sleep significantly. That's just one example. We also have to consider that there could be other things as part of the cancer that the patient's experiencing that are negatively affecting their sleep. For example, pain. We know, unfortunately, that sometimes cancer-related pain, at least when we talk about this in the scope of red flags, pain from cancer can rear its ugly head, especially at night. And so we have patients who are experiencing inability to sleep because of pain they're experiencing. Maybe it's musculoskeletal, maybe it's something completely different, but it could very well be from, you know, bony metastases, for example. Maybe the tumor burden is pressing on different organs that are making it very, very uncomfortable for that patient. But we cannot forget that pain can significantly affect a person's, you know, energy, fatigue, sleep as well. Psychologically speaking, many patients experience anxiety and depression as a result of cancer. And we cannot ignore the effects, the known effects that anxiety, depression, other psychological issues have on the quality of sleep. I mean, even personally, I tend to sleep very well. I do not have any major medical issues, but man, when I am in my tornado of mind roaming anxiety bouts that I get personally, I cannot sleep. And I know how crummy I feel the next day and even the next couple days, depending on, you know, how poorly I'm feeling. And that's coming from someone who does not have any ma major medical issues. But imagine all that is going on in a person who is experiencing a life altering diagnosis, the treatments that come along with this balancing all of the appointments that the person has to go to as part of managing their health and wellness during this time, and then everything else that they have to balance as a part of being a human. Maybe they're a parent. Maybe they're, you know, they have a partner that they're, you know, trying to be engaged with, that they're trying to be involved in their community. Maybe they have work. So it's very likely that these patients are also experiencing psychological issues that are definitely impacting their sleep quality as well. 
No matter the reason that a patient may be experiencing sleep issues, we have got to be checking for this when we are encountering patients in our space, whether that's inpatient, outpatient, home health, any number of things. We have a role as movement specialists to ask people to engage with them in conversations about sleep because we know that sleep or lack thereof affects our patient's ability to do the things that they want to do and what they need to do. That's our realm, right? That is exactly what we are here to help with. So what we're talking about today, now hopefully I've convinced you that sleep is definitely an issue in OncoPT. I want to take you through three questions that I use to capture when my patients are having sleep issues. So first and foremost, and this is actually one of the first questions that they recommend here in this article, which I felt really, really validated by, is just asking your patient, how is your sleep? And leave it at that. Asking an open-ended question such as, how is your sleep, puts the ball in your patient's court and allows them to really express what's going on with them. Ideally, you're going to get a lot of information in that, just in that answer that you get from your patients. Maybe it's a, actually my sleep's doing really well. Fantastic, great. Still doesn't mean that we can clear it off the table, but when you get a, uh, it's not so good answer, or a, uh, my sleep has actually been really bad. Lean into that. Ask more questions because there is so much to unpack here. There's so many different reasons that sleep could be bad that we need to unpack and really explore to see what's going on and how can we positively affect that person. So first and foremost question to capture this is how is your sleep? Pause, let them answer. And hopefully that really opens up a conversation between you and your patient to determine, okay, what's going on? What can potentially be fixed? And then what are our next steps moving forward here? Now, I have had the occasional patient where it not good was basically the final answer to that question and then that was it. That doesn't leave me with a lot of information that I need as a result of this conversation. So now we need to unpack it a little more. So the second question that I recommend that you ask your patients, even, you know, regardless if you get a really verb, you know, verbose answer, maybe a shorter one, like I just said, was what is your sleep environment like? And I will tell you about a story I had with a patient. This, this is the patient who really turned me on to paying more attention about sleep and sleep habits and sleep problems in OncoPT space. I had a patient who I was treating with metastatic prostate cancer. And he, there was a lot going on with this patient. Um, he was separated from his wife um, for, I, I think, quite a bit of time. So he was living alone. And at that point, he was kind of bouncing around, staying with his children. And so, in when he finally ended up in my clinic, he was staying with one of his children. And what I didn't realize at the time is that they did not have very much space in their home to fit everybody in the family. So the patient, the patient's child, the child's spouse, and then the grandchildren of the patient. 
And so, you know, this patient was complaining about, yeah, like I'm just not sleeping very well. Um, particularly what I noticed in the patient interaction was he was very forgetful at times. He seemed to be unengaged. Um, he just kind of seemed like he wasn't all there. Like physically he was in the clinic, but maybe mentally, emotionally, he was a thousand miles away. So once we began to unpack this, it was like, okay, you know, well, what's going on with your sleep? I'm just not sleeping very well. Okay, why? And this is where he finally opened up and said, actually, I'm sleeping on the floor. I don't have a bed at my child's house. It was like, oh my gosh. Okay, now this makes so much more sense. This is part of Again, there's a lot to unpack here, but this is part of the reason why this patient was having such poor sleep is he was literally sleeping on the floor. Okay, maybe sleeping on the floor is fun when you're camping. Maybe. I'm not a big camper myself. Or when you are trying to sleep train a new puppy. Done that before. Still not fun. Okay, and that was maybe a couple weeks and I was done. But imagine sleeping on the floor every night without an end in sight, because this is your reality, because of the complex medical issues you're experiencing, you're not safe to stay at your own home anymore, but this is the best option that we have. Holy cow, guys, this is huge. And so by asking the question of, tell me about your sleep environment, what is your sleep environment like? Again, open-ended questions that really allow your patient the conversational space to express what's going on that allow you to sit back, reflect, and unpack what is going on. This is crucial, guys. Um, and so after that conversation, which I wouldn't have known about unless this patient finally was like, yeah, I'm really sleeping poorly. Okay, let's talk about why. So what we did is I reached out to the social worker at this particular facility, and we were able to coordinate getting him a at least a mattress. Um, again, not the best fix for a really unfortunate situation, but it was at least an upgrade from the floor that he was sleeping on and occasional air mattress. Um, that also fluctuated for a couple different circumstances. So once we were able to actually get this patient a mattress, things did not magically get better overnight, but it was a market improvement. And we were able to get this patient what they so desperately needed, which was a comfortable place to lay their head down at night. And another thing to consider here, it's not just the bed, right? There's so much that goes into the sleep environment. Do you have your own room to sleep in? Do you sleep with a partner? Do you have to sleep with children? You know, are you sharing a sleeping environment with a with a child, for example, or with a parent or, you know, with a other family member? Um, another story, I had a patient who, really, really young, was diagnosed with breast cancer and was living with her aunt and the patient's children. And so again, small apartment, aunt and a cousin, I think were sharing a bedroom. The children were in their own bedroom and then the patient was sleeping on the couch. Maybe you have a really comfy couch, but couches aren't always comfy. And so if you have a patient who is trying to basically make their sleep fit to whatever environment they have, that can be very problematic and affect their affect their sleep as well. Again, going into, um, so in this article in ABTA, the journal, under diversity, equity, inclusion, they're talking about, you know, some people, like these, these 
central tenets of sleep hygiene that we talk about, which is basically this concept of having a safe, comfortable space that really promotes sleep. So this, you know, central tenets of sleep hygiene is there's a lot of privilege here. So having your own space, having a safe environment in which you can sleep, having, you know, decreased noise and having the ability to control your environment and make it comfortable is a really, really, um, I think underappreciated example of how privilege really comes into this and how we as the therapists need to be aware of this. So again, having the open-ended conversation about what the patient's sleep environment like is crucial and we have got to be asking that question. Now the third and final question that you should be asking when it comes to assessing sleep and sleep quality in your patient population is this. What is your sleep like? What is your what are you know what are your sleep habits like? So not just the environment in which sleep is hopefully taking place, but what does that look like? What does the routine look like of okay, you know, I'm actually going to go to bed now. What is that process from basically you know, whatever that time starts until it's time for you to get up again? And this is where we can really dive into okay, not just what is the environment, but how is the environment being used to facilitate or maybe inhibit some of the you know, sleep. So this opportunity, this question really opens itself up to checking out, okay, what is the person doing when it's time to get ready for bed? What time is the person starting to get ready for bed? What is that general sequence of events from, you know, May, you know, ideally most people are going to bed in the evening, they sleep during the night, and then they wake up in the morning. Now this may differ, you know, people like my sister work night shift, so that's clearly a little different. So assessing that process of what that actually looks like for your patients can vary. But again, this is the opportunity when you can talk through first, though you're listening, so you can listen and then talk through the sequence of events from, okay, it's time for bed. I'm going to get ready for bed. I'm going to go to bed and hopefully falling asleep shortly thereafter and then going to sleep, staying asleep until it's time to get up in the morning. That's very ideal, but we know that's not always the case for all of our patients. So again, asking this open-ended question of, you know, what are your sleep habits? What is your sleep routine? really clues you into what's going on and where there might be potential problems along the way. Now, in this article here, again, lots of really good stuff. One of the things that I I think is a little oversimplification. Also, this article is not specific to OncoPT. So I'm getting nitty-gritty nitty here. But there's different steps that we can take as as recommended by this article. You know, assess and screen for sleep disorders, sleep quality issues, refer for additional assessments, provide sleep promotion education, and then um, a couple others, provide appropriate exercise program. These are not the only things that we need to be doing for our patients, but this is a start. One of the most important things that you can do in this process is assessing what can you help with and what can you maybe not help with? What is maybe outside of your scope of practice that you need to refer out for? Again, when I was talking about that patient with metastatic prostate cancer earlier, for him, it was he did not have a bed. 
who are the resources, who are the people, the professionals in your space who can help solve that problem? Maybe it's your patient is dealing with anxiety and depression that is keeping them up at night, is affecting their quality of sleep. Okay, how can we get psychosocial support? Maybe that's a psychologist, maybe that's a counselor. But it doesn't just stop with you. And sleep is a really multidisciplinary problem that we need multiple team members on to make sure that our patients are getting the best quality sleep that they can. Sleeping is not just, you know, a time to relax, although I really enjoy it for that aspect. There's also a sense of, you know, whole body restoration and healing that takes place that we need, but especially our patients need as they're on this journey. And we have a really positive role to play in screening for sleep, sleep quality, sleep issues, educating our patients, but then also connecting them with the appropriate professionals who can help us help our patient the best. So that is all that I have to say for now on sleep. Thank you so much for listening to today's episode, y'all. I really, really appreciate your time. And I will see you back here next week. We have got a really, really exciting interview coming up. So I hope you will join me for that. Otherwise, have a great rest of your day. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of the OnCo PT Podcast. For more episodes, visit theoncopt.com.